All right. Hey, as we uh, as we get started, we got some uh, some sheets being passed out to you guys, so you guys can hold on to those. We'll explain that in just a second. You might be thinking to yourself, "That's not Tim," and you are right. I'm not Tim. And if you were planning to be here for an hour of Tim's teaching, and you realize it's me, Landon. There's always the old trick where you pretend to go to the bathroom, sneak out to your car, and listen to sports radio for the next hour before the second service starts. So that's still an option. Um, hey, if you've been here the past few weeks, you know Tim's been going through 1 Samuel, and uh, we're going to pause that this week for my sake and for your sake because he's going through that so well, and we're going to let him pick that up next week. We're going to do a little bit of an aside uh, this week from what he's been going through in class. We're going we're gonna to look at... Uh, Two passages specifically this morning. They're on the sheets that you're getting uh, handed right now. It's Luke chapter 5 and also John chapter 21. So these are two passages written by two different authors in two different points in time in two different gospel accounts. Um, but as we look at it, I think you're going to see there's some pretty, pretty uncanny coincidences, similarities, things like that. And we're going to dig into it a little bit. Um, so you have the two passages, and what we're going to do is to, to start our time in your table, what we want you to do is uh, take the next, let's say, seven minutes, and you're going to look at those two passages, and by yourself and with the people at your table, I want you to come up with as comprehensive of a list of uh, similarities as you can. So those two passages, Luke chapter 5, John 21, Take a look at them, scan through them, underline, scratch in some things. And then as your table, as like a discussion group, I want you to come up with all the things that you see that are the same about these two passages and then all the things you see that are different about these two passages. So there's a pretty good list of both. Come up with as many things as you can, and we'll get back together in seven minutes and, and start discussing some of those. Sound good? And break. All right, let's, uh, let's bring it back. So, John wrote this first, or excuse me, the second account, John chapter 21, uh, and he, it, we see some similarities to Luke chapter 5. We know that the time frame is different. There are some people that try to make the proposal that these are the same account, but I think based on the things we see that are different in this, we know these are two distinct accounts. These happen at two different points in time, two different things, but there are a ton of similarities. It's also up for debate whether or not John uh, had access to Luke as source material when he wrote it. We're not sure of that. Some people say yes. Some people are, uh, are thinking maybe he didn't. But uh, let's look at it. So let's start with what's the same. What do, what do we have? What, what do we think is the same about these two accounts? The what? The location, which is interesting because we see that it's, it's two different names, but it's the same exact place, right? There's a, a third name. I think I heard someone say it over here. There's also the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, and those are all three the same location. So we know it's the same location, the same body of water that this account of a, a miraculous catch of fish happens. What else is the same? Yeah, this is after a failed night of fishing. Both times, it's a rough night, and you know that the mood is, is sour. They've, they've tried to catch fish all night, and uh, they failed. Yeah, what else? Same people. same people. Yeah, we see some of the same characters in this. We know that, that Peter's there both times, John and James, totally. Um, yeah, a lot of the same characters. Yeah. What a difference. Uh, uh, there are 
Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think we don't see Nathaniel listed in the Luke account. We know that the sons of Zebedee were at, were at both, I believe. I mean, let me look, actually. Um, and uh, we, see, we see Peter. We know he's there. We're going to key in on Peter a little bit. So we've got some overlap and some differences. So some of the crew's the same and some of the crew's not. Yeah, what else is the same about these? Yeah. Simon Peter's response to both is that he follows Jesus. Like in the account in um, Luke, he just literally follows him. Yeah, so we'll, we'll key on that a little bit as a difference, too, but I think you're right in terms of it being a similarity that we see Peter uh, end both of these accounts following Jesus. So that's totally a similarity. Yeah? Going back to you saying how they had this failed fishing thing, when Jesus commands them to do something, they do it, and both, both times, two different places, they have one yeah, there's this act of faith and obedience based on a command from Jesus, and it results in good things. That's totally a similarity. Yeah, what else? Both caught a large number of fish after Jesus. Yeah, yeah, there's this huge, huge harvest, this huge catch after, after Jesus is there. Here's one that I think is interesting that uh, is pretty, pretty wild about this. If you look at both of these accounts, uh, one is pre-resurrection, one's post-resurrection, but something that's the same about both of these is that Peter has actually seen and interacted with Jesus uh, in, in both of these accounts. So if we look at Luke chapter 5, a lot of times we think, oh, this is Peter's first interaction with Jesus, and he just leaves this boat and goes. But, but based on what we see in Scripture, it's likely that Peter had some other interactions with Jesus before this moment on the boat. And in the same way, if we look at John chapter 21, we know that Peter... This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to the disciples. So Peter has, has seen Jesus before in his post-resurrected state, but for some reason something just hasn't totally clicked, right? Like he's, he's seen him, but he's in this sort of weird limbo. And we'll dig into that a little bit because it probably has to do with, you know, what happened right before Jesus' death as Peter denies him. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, one of the things why they wouldn't recognize him, he's 100 yards away on the beach. Yeah. Yeah, so he's far away, and they see him on the beach. and Yeah, but, but John wants us to know that he recognized him. I think that's interesting as the author. He's like, I knew. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sherry? After both times that they catch the fish, there's a call. The first one, Jesus calls them to be fishers of men. And the second one, he calls Peter ministry. Yeah, yeah, we see a pretty beautiful scene following John chapter 21 and the reinstatement of Peter, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, one more. Uh, in both accounts, you see Peter, um, well, you don't actually hear, but you know in John that Peter is, this is, he's denied him, and Jesus is going to ask him three different times if he loves him. And in, the, in Luke, he recognizes him with Jesus what he's done and how unworthy he is. So, yeah, there's almost this like, I know I'm a sinner in both of these accounts. The first one we see Peter fall on his face. The second time we know that he's just denied him three times. And shortly thereafter we see the reinstatement. It's, it's a pretty beautiful scene. Um, okay, let's go to what's different. It's interesting. I actually think there might be more things different about this when we look at, at both of them. So what, what did we come up with? Yeah. The first one's a history um, because Luke was not there. And the second 
Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Luke was not there. He wasn't someone that was in the boat. He wasn't even one of the 12. And, uh, and then John's is someone who was there for both accounts. We know that John was there in the first and the second catch. Yeah, what else is different? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, right? They catch all these fish, they bring them ashore, and then Jesus doesn't use any of their fish. He's like, I, got, I already got it. I got breakfast over here. It's a pretty funny thing. <laughs> what else? What else is different? The nets were breaking in the one, and the nets were not breaking in the other. Yeah, it's interesting, right? We see that in the first account, the nets begin to break, but in the second one, John makes sure that, that we know that the nets didn't break. Yeah? The second thing is, the second of breakfast, when they get ashore, Jesus tells them to bring some of the fish. And yeah. Yeah, he, he invites them to bring the fish. You're right. What else is different? Specificity in John 153 versus just a large catch. Yeah, this is, this is interesting to me. John makes sure to, to put the number of the fish in. And uh, it, there's some, I, was, I was doing some reading, some study on this. There's some interesting you know, statements that people would make of why he might have included the number 153. Yeah. The simplest reason why he includes the number yeah, I agree. I think, I think the reason we, we see John include the number 153, first and foremost, the main thing is this was an eyewitness account. We know that John was there. He's like, I, I was there. I counted one by one. There were 153 fish. There's some, there's some uh, interesting things. I'll, I'll say these. In my opinion, these are a little bit of a stretch, but uh, here's some thoughts on the number 153 and why that might have been significant in John's account. One thing I read, this sounded a little wild to me, is um, at the time of this point in history, it, it was said that they thought there were like 153 species of fish that lived in the sea at the time. So maybe it's kind of this, this thing of, oh, we want to go catch everybody. That seems like a stretch to me. The other thing uh, that I saw that was interesting about the number 153 is if you look in, um, let me see, Second Chronicles 2.17, it's when uh, Solomon is taking a census of all the foreigners that live in Israel as they're building the temple. And there's this interesting thing that there's 153,600 uh, foreigners that live in Israel. That It might be representative of how we see that Jesus said the gospel is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And we see this reflection back to the number. Again, that also seems a little bit like a stretch to me. So I don't think we should take too much stock in those. But what you said, I think we know, is John includes it and we know that it's a firsthand witness account. He counted for himself, and there's 153 fish. Yeah, what else is different about this account? I don't know what the significance, but the, the fire burning coals, I mean, it was the breakfast and all that, but that was definitely mentioned in, in described versus the first. Yeah, we see more uh, eyewitness details, totally. What else is different? Yeah. Where Jesus is, he's in the boat and wine, and he's on the shore again. Yes, I think that's huge, right? We see that in the first account, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's in the boat with the disciples. But then in this second account, he's on the shore. He's a little further away, but his power is still the same, right? Like after a failed night, he's able to perform this miracle where we see a miraculous catch of fish. And uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting how John um, specifically says he's like, it happened um, this way as opposed to this is a continuation of significant events. He's saying that this was, um, was a peak of significance. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, what else? Uh, yeah, go ahead. And then Luke, we see that he's 
see that there's a whole crowd of people that were there in attendance, and then Jesus steps away as he's taking, as he's like calling the few, right? But then in Luke, uh, John's account, he's only meeting with the few. He's really trying to confirm that. Did you call it a recalling or reinstitution of um, bringing uh, Simon Peter back into the fold, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 the reinstatement of Peter, yeah. I think that's interesting. In the Luke account, we see that it starts with a crowd, and then it dwindles to this scene with the disciples as he calls Peter. And then in this first, or the second one, it's just them. There's no big crowd before. It's just them if they've gone out to fish. <coughs> Anything else you guys saw that was different? Yeah. It's minor, but I just think there were... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I, I saw the same thing that it, it might, like the different names might have to do with the different parts of the sea that they were in, totally. Uh, some other things I saw that I, I'm not sure are, one, in the first account we see that the boat begins to sink. We don't see that in the second account. Another thing is we see that Jesus in the first account tells them to just cast the nets out wide. But in the second account, we see him tell them specifically to put it on one side of the boat, right? So there's this difference there. And uh, anything else you guys saw that, that was different? Oh, Peter jumping into the water on the second. Yes. Okay, perfect. And this is where we want to kind of key in on for the rest of our time. There's a difference in Peter's response. And both end with him following Jesus. But the first time, he falls on his face and he says, Lord, get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. He says, I'm not, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. But then the second time... He sees Jesus' power displayed in a very similar way, but he jumps out of the boat. John makes sure to, to point out that they're not really that far from shore. It probably was irrational for him to jump out and try to swim. I don't know how good of a swimmer he was, but Peter couldn't contain himself. And we see in the first account, he says, Lord, get away from me. And then in the second one, he's desperate to get closer to him. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, we talked about the difference of his response. Why do you think, what are some thoughts we might have? Why is Peter's response so different the second time around? He spent time with the Lord. Yeah, yeah, he spent time with the Lord. What else? Yeah, go ahead. Another thing we know from another gospel, and, uh, from the other gospels, Jesus had already appeared to Peter, and uh, Peter just excited in spite of what he did, uh, Jesus still loves him. Yeah, he's just excited to be with him. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. Like, he's, he's desperate to be with him. He's spent time with him. And we'll talk about that a little bit more because I think there's a lot to that of the more he spent time with Jesus, his response changes. What else? Other thoughts on why this response is so different? Jesus has already been crucified, right? So at the end of the passage, it says this is the third time that they had seen him after he resurrected. Yeah. Just the fact that, just being in awe that he's back. Yeah. A dear friend was lost and is now alive. I, you can't imagine the emotion of Peter, and, and we'll dig into the denial and the pain it must have been to watch him, you know, be put to death and then to see him alive. Yeah. Theologically, the understanding of Christ as God, as, as king, comes to my brain of the shining of Moses on the mountain and it's being so godly and unapproachable versus Christ 
was talking with Elijah and Moses on the mountain and saying, make tents for them. We're going to dwell here. I am God come to earth. Yeah. Okay, so you talked a little bit about the Mount of Transfiguration. We know that Peter's there for the scene where Jesus is in his heavenly state. Let's, let's build a little bit because you talked about how he's been with Jesus over. So this is Luke 5, it's the beginning of the ministry. John 21, we're at the end. So let's just build a resume for the things Peter's seen, some of the interactions he's had with Jesus, so we can kind of get a feel for why his response is so different. So what are some of the things that have happened between Luke 5 and John 21, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and this scene after the resurrection? What are some of the things he's seen or experienced? He's seen him walk on the water. He's seen him walk on water. Yeah. We have one over here. He has uh, been part of the inner circle yeah, he, he got even a closer look. We know that Peter, James, and John got kind of this inside scoop and got to see even more than some of the other disciples. So he's been in that inner circle. I heard something over here. Calm the storm. Did somebody say that? Yeah, they got to watch Jesus calm the storm. Fed the 5,000, fed the 4,000. They even got to be a part of the feeding of the 5,000, that they're the ones passing out the food and watching that happen. Yes, Stuart. Didn't he uh, heal his mom? Peter's mother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah, we see that scene happen. Yeah. So got real personal. Yeah, it's, it's on a personal level. Yeah, back here. They have seen Jesus raising him from the dead and the dead for days. Yeah, they'd seen Jesus show power over death. What else? Yeah, that, that, I imagine that was a hard scene as Jesus was crucified, that they knew that he had asked them to stay up and pray, and they kept falling asleep, and maybe they felt like they'd let him down. That's a tough scene. What else? Maybe a couple of Peter's, Peter's got a reputation for putting his foot in his mouth. What are some of the scenes where we see Peter maybe fail a little bit? When the cock crowed three times, he had denied him. Yes. So the denial, and we'll come back to that totally, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, what else? Washing the feet. Yeah, there's this weird, awkward encounter with Peter and Jesus when he offers to wash his feet. And Peter's like, no, 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 you'll never wash my feet. And then Jesus is like, if I don't wash your feet, then, you know, you have no part with me. He's like, okay, wash my whole body. And then Jesus is like, no, I said just the feet, Peter. <laughs> what? It's, so yeah, that's, a, that's this weird encounter. Totally, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. And uh, there's this scene where Peter, you know, gets rebuked. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine what that would be like to be one of Jesus' closest? And to have him say that to you, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I messed up royally. Okay, so what else? Yeah. So he's, he, he's seen Jesus walk on the water, but he's also left out of the boat. Yes. This is such a great, yes. But then Jesus rescues him. Yeah. Yeah, so Peter gets this awesome opportunity where he gets to walk on water. He says, Lord, if it's you, then call me out on the water. And he tells him to come, and he starts walking. But then he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he sinks into the water. And uh, Jesus rescues him. And my favorite thing about that account is what we see at the end of it is I, I always wonder what it's like in that boat as all the disciples are here. And Peter's soaking wet, but he's also just been the only one of them to walk on water. So he's got some bragging rights where he's like, I just walked on water, and you guys didn't. But they're also like... Yeah, but you, you sunk, dude. Like, you freaked out. And, uh, but at the end of it, it says that they all worshipped. And Peter was soaking wet in his failure, but he also worshipped the Lord. Yeah. Uh, didn't he say one time, I'll go wherever you go. I'll die for you. I'll do this cup. You know, he thought he could do what Jesus did. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's the guy, right? Like, he, he wants to go where he goes. There's a scene where, you know, people leave Jesus, and he says, are you guys going to go too? And Peter says, where else, where else would we go? Yeah, Jesse. Um, he, he cuts that guy's ear off. Yeah. Like, he's really rash, and Jesus is like, no, and he heals it. That's a great one. I didn't have that one down, but that is a great one where Peter, you know, he has it. And it's kind of not his fault, right? Like Jesus has just given him, like, you know, told him, go get some swords. And then he's like, okay, it's time to use it. And he cuts an ear off and Jesus is like, no, don't, don't do that. Yeah. What else? Any, maybe one more? Yeah. I think this may be a far out, but it seems to me that Peter is a humble man. And in John, all the way through until passing beyond this. Yeah, certainly. I I haven't looked a ton into that, but we definitely see Peter, you know, get a a bad rep, and we see these moments where he seems to come across a little bit prideful. What I think is interesting, um, well, yeah, I think you're right. Um, Okay, so we talked about why these are different. We talked about some of the things um, that happened in between. Okay, so if you look on the back of that sheet... Um, there's this little analogy that I think is really interesting. I stole this from a book called A Praying Life. Caroline, who wrote it? Paul Miller. Okay, so this is kind of an illustration, but I think what we see where you said, you know, we see Peter's response different, perhaps because he spent time with Jesus. We see all these moments where he's seen incredible things. He's also seen himself screw up. And uh, this analogy, so if you look at it, what you can kind of see is, this, you can imagine this corner down here as like our point of conversion. Those are supposed to be crosses. They're actually plus signs, but that's the best I could do with like the clip art that they had on Microsoft Word. But uh, it's this idea that this bottom line is our sin, and this top line is the holiness of Christ. And, and when we first come to know Christ, our understanding of our sin is probably not that great. That we think, ah, we're not that bad, but maybe we're sinners. And our understanding of the holiness of Christ is also not that high. They're like, yeah, he's, he's great. And, and the cross is small there. But as we get to know him more, as we get to understand the depth of our sin and our depravity, and as we also grow to understand just how powerful Christ is, that cross becomes greater. And P- Peter experienced that, right? Like he sees more and more his failure as he has these encounters where he gets it wrong, where he knows that he's a sinful man more and more, and he understands the depth of that. But he also sees more and more of the veil pulled back and just how powerful Jesus is on the mountain of the transfiguration as he watches him feed 5,000, as he sees this. And we see this grow, and we see as we understand more of our own sin and more of the holiness of Christ, the cross becomes even greater. And we see as Peter's response changes where he's no longer saying, Lord, get away from me. But he understands grace, and he says, I'm going to jump out of this boat and run or swim towards him. Okay, so I think one thing that I, I want to key in on that I, I think is interesting is um, we know that Peter, Peter didn't walk away from the faith. We know that he understands that Jesus still loves him. We see that when he jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore. But we also know that this is in this weird limbo in John 21 where Peter has denied Jesus three times. And uh, Jesus told him he was going to do it too. And he said, no, there's no way. And then the third time he hears the rooster crow. And uh, I wonder, you know, we see this scene at the beginning of it where Peter says, I'm going to go out to fish. I'm just, I'm going to go back to my old profession and I'm going to go back and fish. So, so we know that Peter jumping into the water means that he, he knew that Jesus still loved him. But I wonder 
if the reason he goes out to fish is he's felt this sort of a, a disqualification, that maybe I'm not any longer good enough to be used by Jesus, maybe, because we know he also knows that Jesus is alive. This is the third time that he's seen him after he's been resurrected. But uh, we see this, this sort of weird scene um, where, where Peter wants to go back out to fish. So we know that, that in the scene when uh, Peter denies Jesus, he does it three times. And then at the end, the rooster crows and he weeps bitterly. So here's, here's a question I want to toss around for a second. What do you think the rooster meant? Well, actually, let me ask this question first. Does anybody have a rooster in this room? Does anyone live near a rooster in this room? Back here. Does the rooster crow in the morning? All day. All day. It's all day. We live next door to a rooster for like a year and a half, and it never stops crowing. And uh, I want... So, Peter heard the rooster crow a lot of times, right, ever since this denial. What, what do you think that the rooster crowing in this season of his life meant for Peter? Does that question make sense? It, it, it reminded him every time. Every time that rooster crowed, it made me think I had failed, I had failed, I had failed. Yeah, a reminder of a failure. Yeah, what else? I think it's also a reminder that Jesus knew his failure. Like he had already said he was going to deny him. And Peter was like, no, I would never do that. And so it's also a reminder of like, wow, Jesus knows me better than I even know myself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a powerful thing where he sees Jesus called his shot. He knew that he was going to deny him. And he said, there's no way, but he did. Yeah, what else? So it's not like this very weird thing that everybody notices because maybe it's a common thing then. But for him, even though it's a common thing for everybody else, for him, it's trucking. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's brilliant, right? Like no one else is thinking every time the rooster crows what Peter's thinking. But internally, he's reminded of his failure. Perhaps there's some guilt associated with it where he knows that I, I failed. I, I denied him in his darkest hour. And it's this internal thing. I wonder if that exists for any of you in, in, or for me in, in my life of something that's a reminder or a callback to a failure or a feeling of guilt or shame or frustration or disappointment where we re are reminded of, of ways that we've fallen short. Yeah. I just thought, I, as you were saying that, I had the thought that once Jesus forgave him and he was reinstated, the rest of his life Yeah. Yeah, so we'll talk about that a little bit of maybe what the rooster meant after Peter's restored by Jesus. And I think you're exactly right. Like maybe maybe this moment of guilt and shame every time you heard the rooster turned into a reminder of God's grace. Did you have something? <laughs> and I think it makes the point that we're reminding you have to trust Christ instead of trusting yourself. I think you're exactly right. Perhaps the rooster is also a reminder for Peter that on his own strength, he's no good. You know, he thought he was not going to deny Jesus, but he did. But it's a reminder that it's, it's the Lord and his grace and his power that is the only way that Peter is going to be able to do what he's about to do in his ministry after this. Yeah, what else? I thought, yeah. 
Uh, the rooster is also a good symbol of pride. Um, and so, you know, kind of in that same vein, you know, like uh, Peter's pride, um, whenever it peaks up and remembering his um, ball or a little point. Yeah, you right here. I mean, I feel like in my own life when it's come to ministry and following God and failing um, and Peter and seeing the same reflected in Peter, they can be kind of confused, right? So God made some big statements, Jesus made some big statements to Peter, like on this faith, right, that you all build the church, you know, this faith that you have, and um, I'm calling you to do this great thing, you're going to be fishers and men, but we constantly see Peter like, getting beyond that, right, and like going a step further thinking he knows a little bit better. Um, and so I can attest to that in my own life where, you know, you're, you feel a calling to God and you know that you're going to serve God. But then at some points in your life, if you're really honest about it, I think you would acknowledge, you know, sometimes you go a little step further than maybe you were supposed to, like the Holy Spirit. And how much he needs Jesus to really lead him step by step. But it can't be something he does on his own. And so the confusing and powerful and beautiful part of it is, like, how important grace is and the, and the power of having Jesus' presence in his life, like, made all the difference, right? So third time, he sees up, I and mean, he's like, I just, can we just sit and have fish and breakfast for a little while? Because, like, still kind of confused and wrestling with this calling you've given me, but I want to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, he definitely wants to, right? He jumps out of the boat, and he swims to shore. Uh, and I think that's a beautiful thought, that it, it could be a reminder of his need for Jesus, just a reminder that he's in desperate need of him and everything he's going to do. Yeah. Yeah, I've experienced it just kind of to tag along with what they were saying, the word humility is just so, like the rooster crowing is a sweet thing of humility and giving Peter, and sometimes it's giving me the understand, the belief, the understanding that yes, I too can sin, I too fall short. And I'm bad. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, and so then it makes me tr I receive that grace, and then it makes me try, like in a similar situation, I remember that, and then, and I'm so relieved that I don't do that anymore. Yeah, what a, what a gift to be reminded that the grace of the Lord is, is more than our sin. Where sin abounds, grace abounds even higher. Yeah, back here. Uh, this might be a stretch, but we have chickens. We used to have the rooster, rooster couple cops, so we have to the rooster button. Sorry to hear about that. A shepherd for the chickens. The, the rooster keeps the flock in tow. It keeps them from scattering. It keeps them, you know, together and helps and protects the chickens. So maybe that's a, you know, something. Yeah, that's interesting. Crows that is calling back to your shepherd. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I love that, that it, it might be something calling back and we see... Um, Jesus, using that rooster as a reminder for Peter. Yeah, one more. Um, so, I know you say the roosters crow all day, every day, but, you know, in, in movies and books, rooster crowing is like the dawn of a new day. Usually right in the morning as daybreak comes, so could it mean something about, you know, it's, it's the start of a new day, a new beginning for, for Peter after the rooster crows, it's like kind of a new day. Yeah, well, I, I think that's a great segue, and we'll, we'll talk about this, but if we look at Peter's denial of Jesus, it happens uh, at night around a campfire with a group of strangers. And there's people that he doesn't know, and they're, they're associating him with Jesus, and they say, you were with him, and he denies him three times, and the rooster crows 
And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And there's some interesting comparisons as we look at Peter's reinstatement. If you look just past, it's not on your sheet, but if you're looking at John chapter 21. When Jesus reinstates Peter, we see uh, that he's also around a campfire. But instead of the dark of night, it's dawn. It's the fresh light of the morning. A new day where he reinstates him. He's not around strangers. He's around dear brothers and friends who've had incredible shared experience with Jesus. And we see him three times give him the chance to claim that he loves Jesus. And he gives him this reinstatement back. It makes me think of Lamentations 3 where we see that his his mercies are new every morning. So I think the comparison of morning there is is a beautiful thing. And um, any other thoughts on this before we kind of wrap it up? Yeah. Well, he elevated the rooster when he chose him because he could have chosen a lamb or a goat or a donkey. But, you know, you can hear a rooster from just about any place. Hmm. So I think the choice of a rooster um, by Jesus was because you could hear him no matter where he was. And the other animals would more, you know, be quiet in their stalls. But this one, he was going to hear him. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, he was always going to hear the rooster. That, That it wasn't like a... A quiet animal. You know, you weren't going to miss every day, every morning as the rooster crows, and it's a reminder um, from Jesus. I think that's great. Um, two, two thoughts as we kind of wrap this, this thing up, and maybe some reflection questions for you too, are where, where do you go in failure? You know, are we like Peter in the Luke 5 account, where we fall on our face and say, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Or are we like this version of Peter Maybe further down on this analogy as we see the, the power of the cross growing, are we people who jump out of the boat and swim towards him? Even in our sin, to say, I, I know that his grace is sufficient. I know that his grace is enough. Because as Peter saw it over and over and over again in his life, every time he failed, Jesus' love didn't go away. He knew that his grace was there for him no matter what. And then the second is this, and we've talked about the rooster. Peter heard that rooster over and over and over again. And at first, it might have been a reminder of his sin and failure. But I think that whoever said it over here is exactly right. That uh, after his reinstatement, I think that that rooster was a reminder. That the Lord is with him. That the Lord loves him. That the Lord's grace is never ending. And uh, what a powerful reminder that would have been. So what is the rooster in your life? What's the rooster crow, the thing or the place or the reminder of your sin or your shame or your pain, whatever that might be. And perhaps as we run more to Christ, that rooster would transform from something of maybe shame or pain or hurt to a reminder of God's grace. Uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, I think this is about the time that he wraps it up, so we'll, we'll call it. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for the way that you uh, love us. Thanks for the way that Where sin abounds, grace abounds even higher. Thank you that uh, your mercies are new every morning. Pray that we would uh, not say, Lord, get away from me, but that we would jump out of the boat and swim to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.